You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central fleas main, and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Britain and France are trading recriminations over who is to blame for the deaths of at least 27 migrants after their boat capsized in the Channel on Wednesday as they attempted to cross the busiest shipping route in the world in winter weather. Boris Johnson accused France of not doing enough to stop small boats crossing the Channel. France's Interior Minister, Gérald Darmanin, blamed the attractiveness of Britain's labour market. But both sides have promised to crack down on gangs. Five suspected people smugglers have been arrested. And the Home Secretary, Preeti Patel, will deliver a statement in the House of Commons on the issue later. Well, joining me now is Lucy Mort, who is Senior Research Fellow uh, for Migration, Trade and Communities at the Institute for Public Policy Research. Lucy, welcome. Thanks for coming on the programme. We've been talking all year about the jump, the large number of migrants trying to reach the UK. Why are so many people attempting this dangerous crossing, even as we go into the very bitter months of winter? Yeah, thanks so much, Caroline, for having me on to speak about this. And and first of all, I just want to say how you know how deeply saddened we all are to hear the the tragic loss um, of life in the Channel yesterday. Um, and you know, it's people that really feel like they have no choice um, but to risk their lives to make this dangerous journey across the Channel. Um, and you know, as you've asked, you know, why why do people um, make that journey? And it's because they feel they have no option, quite simply. And, you know, people are moving and people are forced to move. They're being displaced by, you know, awful, awful events and tragedies and and war and all kinds of things. You know, we've seen the images coming out this summer um, of what's been happening in Afghanistan. Um, And so, you know, we're familiar with some of the turmoil that's going on um, across the world at the minute. And that's why people are moving um, and I'm sure the question you know is well why why cross the channel why move um, from France uh, to the UK um, and I think it's just important to kind of reflect there is quite a small number in the grand scheme of things that that are doing that um, but uh, the reason that people do you know make that decision to you know to board those boats is because they see that the better life, the best life that they can have for themselves and for their children is in the UK. And that might be because they've got family ties here. Yeah. It might be because 
the second language they speak is English, as it's common across the world, and it might be because they've got historic ties, you know, with their country and, and, and the UK. Um, so I think, yeah, I just want to reflect some of um, some of that in, in yeah. response. Because actually 25,000 people, it's thought, have, have arrived in the UK from France, I mean, in small boats, and perhaps boat, frankly, is even a generous term for some of these rafts, crafts and, and, and vessels. That's three times as many people as, as came in 2020. So there is a particularly acute problem now. Um, what is that? I mean, both sides have talked about tackling the people smuggling gangs. Surely yeah. that's no easy task. Absolutely not. It's um, it's it's not an easy task, but I would say that it is a task that's really intimately connected to um, our government policies in terms of immigration enforcement and sort of border enforcement. Um, so we have like quite um, harsh policies, and we're getting um, more and more restrictive in terms of our borders. And every time we do that, we hand. You know, and um, uh, uh, yeah, we hand the sort of um, initiative to to the people smugglers um, mm. who can open up another route, um, more costly, and it sort of lines their pockets every time we do that. Um, so you know, these policies are sort of quote unquote meant to deter people from coming. They don't deter people; they just push them into a more dangerous, um, a more dangerous route. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think what. What we would want to see, what we hope to see, is that this could be a bit of a step change to have a bit more um, of a kind of rational and um, mature conversation about what needs to happen. We're, we're seeing ever more harsher policy and we're seeing, you know, ever increasing um, uh, death. So I think, um, yeah, we need The spiral to, is a concern. Lucy, thank you so much for being with me. Lucy Mort is a Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Public Policy Research. I want to bring in Conservative MP Tobias Elwood, MP for Bournemouth East. Um, Tobias, former Defence Minister and former soldier, want to welcome you. So the French say that Britain is handling this migration crisis badly, that actually it's our labour market that needs reform. What did you make of those comments? I think we're looking uh, too much at the, the details. Uh, people are attracted to come to Britain and indeed to the continent, you know, for a multitude of reasons. They simply want to get away from war-torn areas, um, whether they want to come to Britain or, or other parts. You know, that is the detail. The point is we have scarred parts of the world, Yemen, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, places like that. You can now add Ethiopia to the list as well, where families have decided to turn their back on their own country because the insecurity and make their way to Europe. So we can argue about the numbers either side of the channel. The problem is far, far bigger, and we need to look at the source of the issues. Yes, let's tackle the, the actual gangs that are uh, exploiting the people wanting to get away. But as climate change impacts as well on countries that uh, where crop failures is going to lead to more migration, huge migration, mm. um, this is a far bigger challenge, and we look at, need to look at it strategically some of the places but, around the world which we have abandoned and the consequence of that is that large numbers are seeking trying to seek a better life elsewhere yes but Tobias in that case you're sort of advocating advocating for a much bigger policing role by the UK and by perhaps others in in Europe I and mean, that's incredibly difficult it's also a massively long-term solution that involves a lot of perhaps money and um, diplomatic effort and and so on how do you deal with 
with the issue at hand, which is these small rafts coming across? And why is the government not focused on legitimate ways, opening up channels so that these desperate people can come over, not on a dinghy? Well, you, you raise important questions, which the Home Secretary will be uh, seeking to answer this afternoon. There's 250 kilometres of border. Uh, it is difficult to patrol in that entirety of the space uh, itself. But ultimately, we do need Britain and France to work more collaboratively in that sense. We've got uh, the Coast Guards, which are unable uh, to, to cope with this matter. They, they simply don't have the, the, the boats that they require. So on a practical terms, you're absolutely right. There needs to be operationally uh, a far better solution than we've currently got. But I underline the point that this is absolutely nothing compared with where migration and the challenges across, across channel issues will go in the next decade as well. We need to look at the source of the problem if we're going to stop this eventually. Um, the relationship between the UK and France has been incredibly difficult post-Brexit. It's, hard, it's a hard point now to try to work on this very difficult issue with France when the relationship post-Brexit has been, you know, has been so battered. You're, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, the tensions, political tensions uh, at a number of levels have not helped matters. Uh, other decisions which could have gone better, the rollout of AUKUS is, is another example. Um, I met some senior French representatives uh, when I was at a couple of conferences in the Middle East quite recently. Um, it does help to improve the back channels. It does help to make sure that the noise that is made by the senior politicians doesn't undermine efforts to actually work together. We're actually on, a, on an intelligence basis, on a military basis and so forth, have very, very strong relationships with France. And we need to make sure that we are not sidetracked, as you say, uh, by the political noise that is sometimes made. Uh, you mentioned that Priti Patel will be making a statement to the House. Um, she has been criticised. There have been um, newspaper reports, in fact, that, that government lawyers have said that, that she cannot implement one of the policies that she has talked about, which is turning around small boats in the channel. So, in fact, you know, she's received a lot of criticism for what was a plank of her strategy. No, and, and it, it, again, it begs a, a wider question uh, of working with the continent on how we deal with the migrant uh, situation, how we have a better system of allowing these people to be fairly shared if they genuinely are um, uh, asylum seekers. As compared with migrants, economic migrants are simply wanting a, a, a better life. We shouldn't take away from the fact that France itself takes on uh, you know, as many refugees as, as, as Britain does, but many are trying to cross the channel. Um, we're no longer part of the EU, therefore, we've absented ourselves from what was the, the Dublin regulations, uh, mm -hmm. where you could actually turn back to, you know, to, to the country. There isn't that system in, 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 in place anymore. And that is a consequence of Brexit. I think something that wasn't made clear uh, when the, the referendum took place. Mm. Yeah, although there's a difference between sending people back to countries that may, they may have come from in the EU, as opposed to actually in the water when they are in in boats. Um, I wonder, though, um, Tobias, if, if you would, you know, your your constituents are obviously on the coast, Bournemouth East. What do you think that they are thinking at the moment? I mean, this is headline grabbing. This is one of the biggest sort of migrant tragedies that the UK has seen in recent years. What do you think your your voters, your constituents might think about this? I think they will want an answer to this. It's the tragedy that we saw yesterday is absolutely shocking. Um, it really does you know, uh, bring to mind you know, the, the dangers that uh, uh, migrants are putting themselves 
uh, through, and we need a solution. We need not only to, to work with France, but like I said, it, it, it's, it's working with all of Europe. The EU needs to lean into this, uh, but ultimately, you know, until we actually make a better life and improve the security and governance situations uh, in these war torn countries, there will continue to be a, uh, a flurry of, of people, a, uh, a procession, a caravan of, of, of uh, uh, migrants on large numbers that come across into all countries across the uh, uh, Europe, but in, and including trying to get across to the channel to the UK because they have connections here or speak English. Let's get a bit of the other news in the world of politics this morning. There is a striking prevalence of domestic abuse among people referred to the government's programme that aims to divert terrorist attacks, this according to the police. New analysis of referrals to the PREVENT programme in 2019 found that out of around 3,000 people, just over a third had a link to a domestic abuse incident in one form or another. Among those with a link, an Islamist ideology was recorded in 28% of the referrals to prevent with an extreme right-wing ideology accounting for some 18%. Meanwhile, findings from the Office for National Statistics have detailed the widespread abuse of women and children in the UK, with almost one in four saying that they have been a victim. And two thirds of young women in the UK have experienced some form of harassment. About 7% of women had been subjected to domestic abuse in the year through to March 2020 alone, 81 women in all killed in a domestic homicide. And just lastly, English football is at risk of more financial chaos unless money filters down from the Premier League more evenly to the lower tiers. That's according to a fan-led government review, which has urged clubs to come up with a solution by the end of the year or face the issue being taken over by an independent regulator. Now, this report has found that despite the wealth in the Premier League, teams across the English game have fallen into administration 62 times since the top tier was actually founded. And that was in 1992. Now, what do British people make of all the drama and difficulties in politics over recent months from climate pledges at COP26 to a sleaze scandal and post-Brexit fishing disputes with the EU? Well, Cantar Public's latest Britain Barometer explores UK public opinion. Joining us now is Craig Watkins, who is the CEO of Cantar Public. Craig, welcome back to the programme. Thanks for being with me. I mean, firstly... What is the opinion on MPs on on the job of government at the moment? So it's it's really quite stark. Um, we we asked people um, to what they thought about how um, what drove MPs' decisions, um, and it was overwhelming in terms of seven in ten people coming back to us saying that they think that MPs make decisions based uh, to a large extent or some extent upon what will further their career. Mm. Um, and when we asked about financial interests, a similar amount, seven in ten, saying that MPs make decisions to a large extent on, on that that will benefit their own financial interests. And only a third of people thinking that they make decisions based upon what will be beneficial to the public. Um, so fairly fairly clear that the majority of people... Um, have concerns and scepticism about what is driving MPs' decision-making. 
yeah, really not a lot of trust. I mean, is that something that is consistent um, and sort of historically, or is this something that was perhaps made worse by the, those few weeks of really um, kind of bad headlines when it came to uh, sleaze allegations? So I suspect we've, we'd not asked the question before. We'd asked it kind of, you know, based upon the fact that obviously it was a, it was of interest. Um, mm. I think it's fair, you know, it is a, it will be interesting to track this. Certainly um, what we're kind of seeing as well is, is a greater mistrust amongst older age groups than younger mm. people um, and broadly across the political spectrum. So there isn't an, an awful lot of difference between what kind of politics somebody has, um, which suggests that it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a widely held view. Yeah. And it's, you know, these are our elected representatives. People need to be able to trust that they are making decisions based on the right, on the, on the right basis. Um, so yes, definitely a job to be done around regaining trust. And, and given that some of um, this is around the Owen Patterson findings, um, you know, and the government trying to block the suspension of this MP and former cabinet minister um, after he was found guilty of, of lobbying, then there was a lot of uh, question marks around second jobs, what exactly MPs were doing, how they yeah. were earning money outside of their n- normal jobs. W- what is the view on second jobs? So on, on second jobs, um, over half of people think that... Uh, MPs should not be allowed to have them. Um, One in four think that they should be allowed to. Um, And again, we see um, older age groups, um, you know, kind of very, very firmly of that view. Um, If I look at, say, kind of people 55 and upwards, it's it's over 65%. Um, Less for for younger age groups, it's more about a third. But again, there's still a, you know, one in two people um, not thinking that MPs should have second jobs, which um, you know we 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 can link to the fact that does that does that drive inappropriate decision making? Um, there's been discussion about whether the UK would trigger Article 16 over the dispute around Northern Ireland um, and mm. trade with Northern Ireland, and the fact that Northern Ireland's got one foot in the EU and sort of what one foot in. The UK, in terms, in trading terms at least, um, what do voters think about this? Because this could cause a trade war, and it could also be breaking a kind of fundamental agreement that the UK's made. Yeah, I, it's there's no real consensus. Um, so we have nearly a third of people thinking that the uh, government should carry on with the current arrangement, um, and um, we have then. Um, you know, nearly a third of people thinking that we should change the current arrangement and a large proportion of 40% who don't know. Mm. So, which, you know, may suggest that they don't feel informed enough about the detail to to, to, to give a view. And, and, you know, it is a complicated subject. Um, and, you know, it's not surprising that we see Conservative voters being more in favour of changing the current arrangement, but still less than 50%. So I think what we take from this is a, um, you know, it's a it's a critical issue, obviously, for the government. Mm. But we we have a response from the people that we've spoken to about kind of fairly, you know, kind of balanced across whether we should, we shouldn't, I don't know. 
Um, and so there's no so real uncertainty. consensus. Yeah, uncertainty yeah. about Northern Ireland. Yes, yeah. well, it is perhaps um, a tricky trade topic. What about something um, that is perhaps closer to voters' hearts? I mean, it's increasingly being picked as the number one concern, which is climate change. Uh, how did we do at COP26 in the eyes of, of Britons? So in the eyes of, of, of Britain, um, half of people think it wasn't a successful um, or at all successful um, at agreeing a, a deal that could have been suc- uh, that would successfully tackle climate change. Um, there was, you know, less than a third of people think that it uh, achieved what um, it, it set out to do. Um, interestingly, it was again, and we've seen this before when we've talked about climate change. Older generations, older age groups, being um, much more concerned. Um, and um, in this regard, um, far more critical of the outcome of COP26. Um, half of people to think that it didn't go far enough. Um, an increasing number of people, nearly 60%, saying that global co- cooperation is not is poor. Um, and interestingly, post-COP26, an increase in people, so nearly 65% of people now, then they'd be willing to make a lot of change in their lifestyles to tackle climate change. So we're mm. seeing that what seems a greater awareness yeah. of the potential impacts. Um, but yes, not not a not a kind of a, a a a successful outcome for the majority of people. That is interesting, isn't it? Perhaps um, consumers are clocking on to you know changing your vehicle, changing your boiler, insulating your home. That comes with a price tag. You know the government's yeah. not going to subsidise it all. Um, speaking of which, kind of kitchen sink economics here. How are voters thinking about their bills? Um, we, you know, we, we've just had bulb collapse. This is the seventh biggest energy provider in the UK. Inflation's going up. How do voters feel about uh, this chilly winter for for their purchasing power? It certainly, um, it you certainly get a sense of that kind of chilliness coming through. I think in terms of how worried people are, um, we have increasing numbers of people. Um, so three in ten people now saying that they're behind with their bills, um, and you know that's the highest number we've recorded over the past few months um, as we've been asking this question. We are an increasing number of people, four in ten saying that they're finding it harder to meet living costs and a similar amount who have seen their household income fall. So a real kind of uh, a shift in terms of the difficulty that people are seeing in terms of managing their finances. And six in ten people saying that they're concerned about their heating over mm. the winter, which is, a you know, that's a stark figure for a uh, you know, for, for a country such as ourselves, the six in 10 people are really worried about their energy bills. Yeah, absolutely. Well, perhaps, you know, with, with the price cap having gone up uh, only weeks ago. Um, and so attitudes towards the pandemic then also, because that still lurks for the winter months. How worried are we? I mean, Europe's going into more lockdowns. Um, again, we see um, uh, greater concerns, Um Nearly three quarters of people are now fairly or very concerned about further waves of COVID-19. Unsurprisingly, we see that most with the older generations. But younger people, you know, one in two two of younger people, very concerned as well. So there's an increased concern. You know, we've heard stories about 
how under pressure mm. the NHS is, we've seen what's happening abroad, a hardening attitude to mandatory vaccines. Um, yeah. So now one in two people thinking that it should be compulsory. You know, that's quite provocative as a, as a policy. That's um, a real 50-50 divide, isn't it? On, on <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, right. and, you know, a, a concern about how much emphasis is placed on protecting the economy as opposed to protecting health. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.